<laughs> Boy, to Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Um, uh, all right, here's here's what's going on. If you're just getting in the car, you've been living under a rock, and you, Titans news has not been available to you, here here you go. Yeah, the Titans play Saturday still. They, yes, the Titans <laughs> that, that's, game. Let's start there. Saturday night yeah, against the Bears. Lucas Just, will be there. Justin He'll Fields will start. We know this. Matt Barkley's going to start. Mike Rabel said that earlier. Yeah, There's some news for you. Yeah, and it shows that it's actually a real quarterback battle yep. here for the second string job because for Barkley to get this opportunity to start already, and then going, he said they're going to go every two series. They're getting a hard look at who's the better option, and I think Barkley's going to continue to play better because he's now getting more comfortable with the system. So I, I, I man, I hate it for Woodside or Mac action, but I don't know Barkley, man. He, he plays like uh, like a typical backup should play. Like, what do I have to lose? I'm about to sling this thing around. Throwing it down the field. Yep. You said something Monday after the game. We came in, and I hadn't thought about this at all. But you said, I like that he switched him out every two series. Because if you're a backup, you don't start the game. Yep. You just say, like, hey, man, get up. Go. Go. Let's go. Get warmed up and go. And that trains them because they get in, mm-hmm. and then they come out. Then they completely cool off like again. That. Then they got to go out there and sling it two series later. That could be a lot. I mean, in real time, that's several minutes. Mm-hmm. So their arm is cool back off and everything else. I'd never thought about that. Yeah, that was that was a great idea. And it probably was more for competitive reasons to see who could actually uh, play under those kind of circumstances. And so, uh, and I, I'm, I'm cheering for both guys. Uh, but Barkley right now, I, I I think he's giving, I'm man, I hate to do it. What side's been here? But he looked like the better option considering he was only here two weeks. And now he's going on his third. I, I would I would assume that he's going to continue to get more comfortable with the players, the system, the calling the plays. Just think he had to learn all that stuff. And man, I think uh, he fits the bill. He fits the bill, and he's proven in this league, whether good or bad, he's been in this league as a backup and as a starter. So yeah, Matt Barkley, thirty years old. Uh, he was originally drafted by the Eagles. He's been on the Cardinals and the Bears. He was briefly with the 49ers, uh, the Bengals, and then the last three years he's been with the Bills. This obviously guy's found a way to kind of hang on in the league. Well, he beat the Titans with the Bears. Uh, that was, what, two or three years ago? I remember. Oh, yeah. that was heartbroken. Yeah, because who was that corner they had? Now, it, it was running his own defense. Harris Cox. Oh, yes. But it, so that was longer than that. That might have been five years ago. I remember, though, they didn't. The Titans beat them because a Bears receiver dropped. Oh, that's right. He dropped a touchdown. Because with what, like just a few seconds left, that's Barkley right. threw in the end zone like four times. Right. Yeah. And on the play where Parrish Cox ran the wrong thing, he threw the receiver and the guy just dropped it. Oh, man. But yeah. Barkley so, could so have the Titans won that they game. Won the close, game. But they should have lost because yeah. that guy dropped that ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah. Barkley, and he played actually pretty good in that game. He did. For what it's worth, the Titans defense was, uh, you know, it was solid then. It went bad. Uh, I, I think so. that was the last game Parrish Cox ever played in the NFL. Oh yeah, he yeah. got he was on the street the week after that. Yeah, I think he. I think they made him uh, drive back on his own from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> he Ubered back. No, yeah, I don't think that happened. But man, it felt like it because he was doing some crazy stuff out there on his own the whole entire game. It was like, man, did you do you even know the game plan? He, he obviously thought he knew better than them. I had never seen anything like that. What did you think? Watch because Paris. Oh, Cox, I would have been living as a player out there with them. You would have been all over uh, right yeah, on the sideline. Like, yeah, like, hey, man, well, what are you doing, man? Just run what's called. 
I mean, he was running his own show, man. He was out there doing his own 707 or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, oh, uh-oh, he's about to be a goner. And I mean, man, they didn't waste any time. They probably told him on the flight back. They might have told him he needed <laughs> I'm, 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 not gonna say. I'm trying to get his, his game logs. Yeah, he was there. Uh, you know, he's at, he was a pretty talented player, actually. At Oklahoma State. Remember, he could return punts? Yeah, he was He was, He was. was a solid player. His last football game that he ever played was that game. It was November 27, 2016. That was uh, game number 12. The Titans won 27-21 over Chicago. No, that was um, – No, uh, I'll say with it. Uh, what's it? it was Malarkey? Malarkey, yeah, oh, Malarkey. Okay, they went nine. That was yeah. Oh, it's nine. That was the nine and seven year. They went nine and seven, then nine and seven, then nine and seven, then nine and seven. That's during the cycles of nine and sevens. But yeah, Malarkey was the coach. But yeah, that was the last game he played for the Titans or in the NFL. Parrish Cox, just as somebody, Coach Mack and I were having this discussion one time, and we were talking about rock and roll, and he was telling me about football stuff, and I said, "You can take me to." to a church service, to a concert. You can take me to a club downtown, and if something goes wrong, I can immediately tell you that guy's not doing his job at a rock show. Yeah, I think everybody can see Cox wasn't doing his job. <laughs> but And that drives me crazy. Yeah, like, yeah. even in a church service where we're just all in there trying to get down with the J-Man, which I can totally get down with, but if, like, the bass player is messing everything up, I, I, it, it's like a punch in the face to me Yeah, because I know everything that guy's supposed to be doing to see Paris Cox just go rogue at an NFL game, you have to be thinking, "What in the world are you doing?" Oh, I, I was I've never seen anything like that, and, and haven't since then ever. And I've watched tons of NFL games. I mean, this guy was basically daring them to cut him. I mean, he was doing his own thing, and it wasn't working. No. I mean, it wasn't like he did it one play and said, hey, man, I watched film on this one play. They just didn't run it. I don't know what. They ran a different route out of this formation. No, he was doing it all throughout the game. So that I had never seen. That was undisciplined, not being a pro. It was a lot of things. But, uh, yeah, as a, as a player, I, I don't even know if I would have been able, being a safety in this league when you're making calls and he's not making the right calls, I would have I, I had a conversation with him. And then if I'm not getting the response I need from him when we get back out there and he continues to do it, man, halftime, my coach is going to ask me what's going on. I'm like, what you need to do is take him out and stand him on the sideline. I've never said that about anybody. I don't care about getting toasted and all that. But, hey, man, if you can't even run the plays that are called, and I, I, can't, I can't even trust you out here. And, I, you know, I'm big on chemistry, trust, all those things because you got to have it to be successful in this league. Uh, and, you know, I, I know Vrabel was talking about he's not concerned about those guys not practicing, but there's a part of you being a former player. You're always a little concerned when your your starters aren't practicing uh, up to this point. And until they're back out there, which they are now, most of them, do you start feeling that comfort level as a, as a coach mm-hmm. uh, because you know what they can do and they, they can execute. Uh, so there's there's something to that. For me personally, I've always been a big proponent of that chemistry underrated I, I feel like it's one of the biggest if not the biggest besides having talent even in this league you don't have to have the best talent you still can win win a lot of games and even win a Super Bowl you don't have to be the best team but that team as long as it believes in one another and plays as a unit you can be pretty freaking good now you got to still have NFL talent of course but yeah you can overcome some of your 
misgivings on offensive defense if you rally around it and play as a team and as a, as a unit. Well, here's what's going on. Um, Coach Doug Matthews is going to join us in just a few minutes, so we'll get the latest on the Tennessee Vols. Again, we're a week out from the Vols playing. There's actual college football games. A week from today. A week from today. There's college football Zero games. Zero week this, this weekend, Saturday. right? Yes. It's like five, six games, and you can promise I will be watching. I'm gonna watch care. every game. Who I don't care who it is. I, I'm only gonna watch because I, you know, I, I'm gonna watch Hawaii UCLA. I'm watching. I got uh, you know David Aker's son as the punter for uh, the, which I played with with the Eagles. Uh, Ravenwood went to, grad. He went to Ravenwood. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Don's doing that game. Oh, is he? Is she UCLA? Mm-hmm. Woo. Yeah, she's going all the way to UCLA. What? Yeah. Babs. Week, hey, week zero, all hands on deck. Yeah. So I'm only watching the game just to watch the punter. So, so Mickey, <laughs> you're going to watch UTEP and New Mexico State? Let's go Acres. Oh, you know I am. Southern I'm, Utah, San Jose State? I'm sick. I'll watch. I'll, and, and whatever is the latest game, I'll yeah, put, I'll Southern put Utah. to bed. Oh, who's no. the latest game, Southern Utah? In San Jose State. Oh, I, I, I'm going to tell you this right, right now. You I would not, not be watching, be watching that. that game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not be watching That's the that former, game. I think Nick oh. Starkle, the former yes. uh, Mississippi State, Texas A&M. I think he's been in college football about eight years now, the place for San Jose State. Yep. Oh, he found his niche, like all those guys who lead the Vols and then go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> he found <laughs> yeah. it. He, he, he found his, his way niche. to the field, finally. All right, here, here's what's going on real quick. We'll take a break, and Coach Matthews to join us. Ryan Tannehill on the COVID list. That news coming out today. Um, Harold Landry went on yesterday. Nick DeZubnar is on there. Anthony Rush, Justin March Lillard, Jeremy McNichols, and Jeff Swaim all on the COVID list. Mike Vrabel spoke today. He is still on the list. Uh, do we have it's Aukerman. Okay, you said Craig Aukerman as well, the special teams coach? Lucas, I had teased this. Let's hit it real quick because we got about a minute. Um, Mike Vrabel talking about, I guess, how things will work while he is out with COVID, including with special teams, now with Craig Aukerman being on the COVID list. We're going to be fine. You know, Matt Edwards will help out. And, you know, I, I promise you we'll be, um, we'll be just fine for Saturday. Um so I'm, I'm confident in that, you know, Matt will have some help. The biggest thing for, for the preseason and special teams is just trying to corral the, the million of moving parts of, you know, who's, who's still in the game, who, who's, who's not. And that's the biggest thing. You know, the schemes are going to stay, you know, fairly consistent and, and fairly basic. Um, but it'll be about, you know, who can make sure that we can help Matt you know, corral the guys that are on the punt team, you know, the guys that are up on the kickoff team in the third quarter or fourth quarter, you know, making sure that that, that operation is sound. It's Mike Vrabel. I, I, I would hey, imagine I, it's I, I have chaos. another thing okay. that won't cause any chaos. Okay. It's going to be a big flat screen on a pole, and I'm going to be pushing it up to down the sideline with Vrabel on it, giving instructions throughout the game. Virtual Vrabel coaching yes. him up. Oh, That's like how he that. can get in the game and be on the sideline. No different than just like he was at the luncheon yesterday that we, they had at the stadium. We can fly a space shuttle into space and land it on an airstrip. You don't think Mike Rabel could coach in a box on the sidelines? Yeah. We got the technology, surely, right? How's uh, the aura? Virtual oh, You said in a box, and I'm saying on a screen. Yeah. Like, there's, a, there's two I, I, options now. Well, I meant like the screen in the box. But now put him in a box like a boy in a bubble. Yeah, man. I, I think we got it done, Coach Vrabes. I think you're going to be at the game. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah we'll see you at the game, Coach. Yeah. We'll see you. See Coach Matthews coming up next. Doug Matthews on Blaine and Mickey.
Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Time now for our weekly visit with the coach, Doug Matthews, brought to you by the Tennessee Highway Safety Office. They remind you to designate before you celebrate because fans don't let fans drive drunk. Brought to you by the Tennessee Highway Safety Office. Coach, I'm going to ask you this just because I would imagine as long as you played, as long as you coached, we're a week out from the season starting for the Tennessee Vols, do you still get that like that knot in your stomach? Uh, not really a knot, but uh, <laughs> but certainly maybe that's just me talking. Well, let me put it this way: a feeling you, maybe you certainly know it's game week. Game week, <laughs> game week's different. No matter, I don't think whether you're a player or a coach. High school, I really don't remember middle school <laughs> game weeks because, but uh, high school on absolutely. Listen, there's nothing like. I think still to this day, putting on the jersey of whoever you represent. In my case, old Pitcher High School, the old red jerseys back in the day, and you know, and playing. There's nothing like that, you know. Putting the putting the silks on is what we used to say. I'm not <laughs> sure what they say now, but uh, absolutely, it's it's hey, it's it's what you work for. You know, when you think about it in football, when I was playing, you played ten regular season games. Now they're up to twelve. Yeah, but you practice all year long for twelve ball games. And quite frankly, it's one of the things as a coach that you kind of kind of wonder sometimes, uh, and I often wonder now if you only play twelve games, that's one a month technically, right? Why can't a player get up for twelve games every game? But you know what? It doesn't work that way for some reason. Well, you know what? They're eighteen to twenty-two, twenty-three-year-old guys. They got lots going on. Good point. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Coach Matthews. Let me ask you this too. I, I wrote down, we always ask you very specific questions about the Vols, and we'll always do that, but this is such an interesting week being a week out. I wanted you to kind of give people a little bit of a look behind the curtain. At what point do you start to switch from these are camp practices where you're doing camp stuff to we are game planning to beat, in this case, Bowling Green? Well, Tim, uh, in in 10 days out is kind of your your, uh, go-to point. Uh, A lot of coaches have some type of scrimmage 10 days out or used to. Now, what you do really all all even in the the time before that, as you're working on certain things, you, you, a lot, a lot of coaches, and I would do this too, particularly if you're, if you're opening up with a, with a really good opponent, Mm -hmm. you slip in a few of their plays that you get on tape that you don't really tell them what it is, but you get a chance to look at it a little bit. You know, just you don't, you don't, you don't. I don't think many coaches will mention any opponent other than the first opponent, whoever that might be. But now, ten days out, uh, you. This is the point where every player knows I'm either on the rotation, I'm either on the travel team, or I'm down putting on a demonstration on the scout squad, trying to work my way back up. I think that's the biggest thing. Is now you go from probably working with uh, maybe fifty. To 55 players, you're really working now with about 40 to 45 players that you know are going to play in the ball game. Coach Doug Matthews joins us here on Blaine and Mickey. Well, it sounds like it's going to be exciting, Coach, here at Tennessee uh, with the, uh, I guess, with the new, I don't want to call it new, but uh, enhanced fan experience now that the fans are going to be back. I know they're doing something with the, the LED lighting, and I'm sure it's going to be fireworks. Just kind of take us through. You've been to so many games. What that fean experience is actually like because that that's pretty cool. I think that's one of the mm-hmm. I think that's one of the great things Blaine of course when you're coaching and certainly mm-hmm. playing you don't go through any of that. <laughs> you get there a couple hours for the ball game, you don't see all that. But especially and I think a lot of traditional programs have this almost every 
top program or that that uh, not even and I'm not even talking about uh, all power five schools they have something that they do before the game uh you know whatever whatever it might be it I, I mean I remember at Alabama you know had the band come in march in before the game and stop and play uh you know, go Alabama or whatever the fight song is they play down there I certainly should know it. I heard it enough when I was coaching. <laughs> no, but you weren't listening. You weren't listening to it, though. You know, and at Tennessee, you got the vol walk. You got the band marching in. You got all those things. That's that's one of the things I think that fans missed most, the ones I talked to, mm-hmm. um, about game day. Yes, the games are special, but really it's the tailgating. It's it's the being there to see all the, all the fanfare. Uh, it's about a you know when you add games in there, it's about a five or a six hour experience, and uh, and that's true at a lot of places. Ole Miss has what they do, you know. Almost everybody has something that they do. That's what I think fans miss, and I don't think there's any doubt the players missed. And I think coaches too missed having fans in the stands. It is a different atmosphere, no matter how you try to sell yourself on. You know who's watching on TV and all that. It is unquestionably a, di- a different atmosphere. Yeah, no doubt about it. I I can't wait uh, just to see the fans back there. And then, uh, you know this LED uh, LED lighting is what yeah, they did at Alabama. Lisa, that's where I saw. Yeah, it that's something year. you're right. Uh, but I, I was up there where they were installing that that lighting. Uh, uh, and if you know Knoxville or the Needless Stadium, it's the the bottom of the top bowl they got them all the way around wow. the whole bowl system up there and it's you know they use in timeouts the flashing light just yeah, kind of going to be in a night yeah it's going to be pretty I, I don't think it'll help Tennessee play on the field but it's going <laughs> to oh. it's going to be uh, well, the fans right. are going to like it though that's more important like though no, coach yeah. come on we got to get the fans <laughs> got to get the fans involved there but uh naturally you want to come away win I'm sure they will have no problem against Bowling Green there first. Well, we do not know who the starting quarterback is going to be, but we're assuming that it's going to be uh, Joe Milton. But would you be surprised if we saw multiple quarterbacks, maybe even all three of the the guys that everybody's mentioned in this first ball game initially? Just take us through the the mindset. Not maybe you don't know what Hypo's thinking, but what would be your mindset being being a former coach? Well, Blaine, that's one thing I'm going to be looking at uh, is what his rotation is in this game. I think he'll clearly have a number one quarterback. This is our guy, but he's also going to want a, get a really good look at who the, the certainly the second quarterback and hopefully the third. They, don't, they only have three. Now, the number of plays that that third team is going to play, quarterback's probably going to – well, not probably. It'll depend on what the score is in the ball game, but – uh, it looks like, it looks to me like, uh, and ag- again, this is all just from looking. Uh, certainly, this head football coach hasn't said anything. Uh, it looks like maybe Milton. I think Hooker is right there. Both of those are two mobile quarterbacks, and then probably Bailey. Uh, but uh, Coach Heupel has said a time or two publicly that he feels like this team uh, is probably going to need a – this offensive team is going to need a mobile quarterback, one that can move. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't say 100%, but it kind of tells you where he, thinks, where he thinks this team is. And there's no doubt, in today's football, if you're able to throw the ball, you have to be able to throw it first. But if you're able to run the ball, if you're able to pull the ball down on when everybody's playing man coverage on third and five or six and pick up a first and ten, that adds a lot of pressure, as you know, to a defense. If you, if you have to worry about a quarterback running – now, the other side of that is, too, though, there are plenty of quarterbacks that are not runners, that are smart to get rid of that ball and do it in other ways. So uh, that, that gives Bailey, that gives all three of them a chance. But I, I would suspect Milton, I would guess Milton, 
Uh, I think Hooker will get in there. I don't think there'll be a. I don't think he's going to have where he says, "Hey, you're going to go two series." I don't think he's that type of coach. Mm-hmm. He's not going to say we're going to put you in at this point of the game. Uh, but I do expect that he will get at least uh, one of the backup quarterbacks in the first game. But he may not. I mean, you know, he is a. I really haven't watched what he did that much down down at UCF. Uh, he's a new new Tennessee coach, and he may do it a different way. But he's the the thing that he has. We know that he has going for him is he is the quarterback coach. Even though he has a <laughs> quarterback coach, he is the guy calling plays, and he is the one that will schedule who will be in there and who won't be in there. Well, yeah, you don't tell us what hypo, and actually, don't know what he's thinking. But what are typically some of the biggest concerns for that first ball game by typically all the head coaches? Every and this is assistant coaches too. And I was fortunate to work for some really good head football coaches. It's, it's always that unknown. You, oh, you, right. you, you hope, I think I missed this a couple times over the past couple of weeks. Number one, you don't ever want to go into a game where you don't have everything covered that first ball game, but you know, there's going to be things that you didn't have covered. Uh, so that, that, that's one. And I think secondly is just, uh, just knowing how you're going to play. Or we got, how do we how do we need to play? The good thing about this ball game is that Coach Heupel has a really and this staff they have a really good they know what they need to do to beat Bowling Green, <laughs> and, and that's number one. You want to make sure, as I've said many times, you don't want to do things going to lose you the game, and I think that's what Tennessee fans are going to see. I, I believe, of course, we'll have an opportunity to talk one more time before we have a. Uh, before we have this game, we'll that's be true. talking game day next yes, week. That's right. But uh, but but I think the big thing, what Tennessee fans are going to see, they're going to see a better coached football team. Now, will they be better on the field? Uh, will they produce more? Don't know that. Think they will, but I know they're going to see a team that looks like a better coached football. Well, team. I mean, Bowling Green is one of the worst teams in the country, so they should look a lot better. But they should look more polished and more developed, uh, you know, players out there for Tennessee. Well, we're the coach, Coach Doug Matthews. Great opening, by the way, for Tennessee this year. Two two really good things that they're going to pay off. Number one, they're playing a team that's really not very good. Mm-hmm. And number two, they're playing them uh, two days earlier, and they're going to get kind of a mini open hey. date right. between Thursday and the Pitt game, which is the next Saturday. Next that's time. Those couple of days can make a make a big difference. They can really I, can. Can I just say this, though, as a former college administrator, the guy who had to sell tickets, boy, Thursday night's a tough sell for a lot of people. Like people with little kids or the people who – I drive five hours for game day. They can't do it. I, that, that's, that's a tough sell. So all the people who sell the tickets are like, I get it. It's great for the team, but, oh, this is bad for us. We know not only that, it's an 8 o'clock kick. Whoa. Oh, man. <laughs> what, no, that's 7 central time here, well, Coach. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, that's like you said, like college football game, it's a long game. It's that not like the NFL night. where it's wrapped up in a oh, bow for man, three I'm hours. I'm so glad they started that out. I'm going to be there. I'm anxious to see how they look. Uh, I've uh, had an opportunity to watch two practices, and clearly in those two, two not practices, two scrimmages, Clearly, in those two scrimmages, uh, they they uh, they look like those things I talked about again. Okay. They they looked better, coach. Uh, they they were in better position. They were doing all those things. Now I see no reason why you couldn't carry that over into the game. Yeah. All right, let me ask you this because I think Tennessee fans maybe they maybe they're also a Michigan fan or they watched Michigan play and they so they saw a little bit of Milton or maybe they saw a little bit of Hooker and then they know their guy who's already been here. Now that you've seen this offense in action, 
is there a guy that you conjure up in your mind from the past? And, and you could say, well, like Dan Marino, I know he would have been great in anything. But is there a quarterback you say, this type of guy is the perfect guy for the Hypel offense? Is there a guy you picture like that? Yeah, I, I, well, I would say the two guys that they have there, we, we know what we've seen Bailey in action. Sure. Right, at Tennessee. We know, we know what he can do. Good arm, better than a good arm. Uh, you know, freshman had some freshman things that he needed to work on. He's not going to be someone that'll just go out there and pull the ball down and, and run for 20, 30 yards. Both Milton and Hooker are those type of players. That, right. And uh, now we have seen a little of them, you know, Hooker at Virginia Tech, right. Milton at Michigan. But, y- again, you don't exactly know until you get there. Do, do they make the right reads? Do they take care of the football? Do they do all those types of things? That's what they've been stressing so much up there. You know, as I, as I said, don't do something that's going to lose us the game. Now, that's not – I don't want that to sound like you're coaching fear into your players mm-hmm. because you're not. But it's just the fact that, hey, let's take care of the ball. You know, if it's not there, throw it away, pull it let's down, take a sack, we'll punt, we'll play defense, we'll get back out there. The, the, you know, and you have to learn how to do that. Now, there comes a time, though, where you got to make plays. And sometimes you got to make plays. you got to, you got to take some chances to make some plays. I saw where Alex Golish said this in his media availability. He said they're trying to create stressful situations, but at the same time build confidence. And he talked about how you really have to tiptoe a line as a coach. You're trying to teach guys lessons and at the same time not destroy their confidence. Mickey, one interesting thing that that Coach Heupel did not do, he only had two scrimmages. Now, maybe that's what he always does. I don't know. But most – teams most head coaches have that third scrimmage and it may be very limited where you go one against the worst one against threes and fours Mm. he went one against one in both scrimmages the whole scrimmage he didn't do any one against his twos or one against threes he went one against one two against twos and then three against threes uh so uh and just for you said and why do you do that because when you go one against one unless it's going to be a both teams play well, or both teams say poorly. One's going to win, one's not. Mm-hmm. Seems to me he doesn't worry about that because if he did, he would. He, believe me, you can set up right. a, a a scrimmage where that offense right. is going to look really good right. and that defense is going to look really good. <laughs> he didn't do that, so uh, obviously that's his way. I think he's confident. I know he, this. He is extremely confident in what he can do as an offensive play caller. Uh, and I think he's confident because a he did it as a player at a high enough level to win a national championship. Sure did. And b he has done it as a coordinator and also as a head coach at UCF. So uh, he's a confident guy. Doug Matthews, I'm confident that he's given us the inside information. As always, brought to you by Tennessee Highway Safety Office. You can also hear him football Saturday, Big Orange Sunday. He's all over this station right now. He's on with Blaine and Mickey. Yeah. Well, naturally, all coaches are confident, but. When you're going in your first year, in particular at Tennessee, do coaches, uh, you know, set out for goals and what they're trying to accomplish and, and not never talking about them, but are you you're saying, you know, this is what I want my team to look like. Win, lose, or draw, there's certain things in head coaches, their mindsets are totally different than, than most. So what do you think, you know, Hypo or most first-year coaches at Tennessee think is their goal for the year? Well, I, th- I think a couple of things. N- number one, there's the – 2021 team Mm -hmm. that you're working with and then for the head football coach in particular there is the program that you want to build there so you have to do enough of those you can't just do one or the other 
In other words, you can't come in and say, hey, this is what we eventually are going to be, and then work from that. You have to take what you have as a team. What can this team do? You know, it might, he may do, he will probably do some things this year, both offense and defense, offensively and defensively, that really aren't what he wants to get to, but that's what the talent gives to. He has some limitations in some areas, no doubt about it. He has limitations at linebacker. He's got some limitations in some things I think he wants to do. This is not a team I don't think that's going to be able defensively to bring a lot of pressure and blitz a lot because of, you know, depth and a few other things. But uh, I think this year he certainly know he know, knows that. And and, and to to answer answer your question, Blaine, uh, you know, I, I, he he knows has a good idea what he needs to do to win ball games. And I think that's going to take preference over probably building the program right now. But make no mistake, he knows he has to get the a, his program both offensively and defensively ingrained into this team to be able to build where he wants this program to get. This team will probably lose some games that they maybe could win. I shouldn't say probably could. And I think they could win some games that they probably should lose. But I think they're probably going to be up and down a little bit because, quite frankly, they don't have that overall depth and everything else they need. They're much better. Mm -hmm. And if they are fortunate enough to get through this season without too many big injuries, which is they've already lost one of their best offensive linemen, haven't lost anybody else, Calvert Youngster's out. He would certainly be a starter somewhere. So all those things kind of play into it. But I think in the back of his mind, he also knows I'm building a program. I think that has an effect on how you handle your team. Maybe some players that you would not. Maybe you'd let them back on the team or do a little bit more with them if your program is already developed. He's trying to set the tone for that. Uh, hopefully, he's done that. Well, I know a lot of people are concerned in the you know Tennessee you know Vol Nation you know with the defense and you know it seems that though they I feel like they're going to be better than advertised, but you know they're still not going to be an elite defense. Uh, how much concern would you have as as a fan and watching from afar? You got a new DC who I, I don't think he was the play caller. Maybe he had input, but he was not a play caller going into a season where probably your defense is going to be more so your weakness than your offense. Uh, so how do you view that uh, from afar and watching the defense? And I, I think they're still going to be solid. They just don't have that stud pass rusher that you're looking for to really make everything else easier for everybody else. Well, a couple of things there. Tim Banks, and you're right. right Tim, Tim Banks, Banks was not a, has not been a play caller. He's been a co-defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. which is more of an authority thing yeah, than right. it is actually. But, hey, I can tell you because I've had to do it. Calling, calling plays, offensive plays or defensive plays in the game – is a lot different than, <laughs> than you know, because you got about in this face, fast-paced offense. Think about it. Most of these teams now are trying to get snaps in within twelve seconds after the ball is put in play. You don't have a lot of time to sit there and think. Okay, now let's see. <laughs> you know, it's over if you think that. Yeah, okay, I would have blinked and I missed it. We, we missed the play call, blame man. We just call whatever. <laughs> Whoa! Oh my bad. But but that is uh, uh, here's what I, I I know from watching two scrimmages. And I go back to this, and I would encourage Tennessee fans just to kind of think back. How many how many games were there last year where where Tennessee had the the opponent's offense just had people running wide open on passes where it wasn't a matter of of have they just caught the ball and ran, or that we we were out of position so much, or we had to use timeouts so many times 
or, or we weren't aligned properly. That is one thing that, that I am as certain about as I can be. We will not see this year. You're going to see them lined up, right? And a lot of it, quite frankly, has to do with the fact that this offense that they're going against runs plays so quickly. You have to be lined up right. Right. And they saw work. a little bit of that in the spring game where they weren't lined up, and that's how they got beat, you know, deep. With, Absolutely. You know, no, man, no they doubt. were running plays literally with 10, 12 seconds. I mean, they, they were – I couldn't believe it. Blaine, you know – I was there. It's I hard to explain it. this like, you can't unless prepare you've for that. been out there. But they, their goal, their goal is to – when that whistle blows to stop a play, your tackle or incomplete pass, when that whistle blow, that 40-second clock starts then. It doesn't start when you get back in the huddle or take a step back in the huddle. Their goal is from the time that last that whistle blows until the next play starts, there's 30 seconds on the clock. Now, that's almost impossible to do. But I tell you what, they they will do it. I, I they'll do it a good number of times. Now, yeah, they run the ball so, to the referee and everything. And and let me, you know, you hit something. That, well, let me tell you what's changed about football. They used to just kind of think back. If that receiver, or that running back, got tackled, he'd pitch the ball to a linesman. Mm-hmm. Well, the linesman would then would have to take it, and because the guy that spots the ball is the umpire. Right, right. So what they're taught to do is, you're exactly right. They run that ball in and hand it to that umpire. So he can put it's it fine. down. It, it's it's that that part of of game day football to me is fascinating. That the ways you know, and, and and Chip Kelly is the guy that started all this. Right, yeah, I will never did. forget. And I know we got to run here, but I'll never forget. Uh, he came into town with that Oregon team. Came to Knoxville. I was at that ball game and. He was the first guy to really do that, and I'm sitting there watching. Honest to gosh, he was he was in the ear of that linesman screaming at him. I say screaming, couldn't hear him, but right. But he he was he was he was sitting there uh, doing uh, talk, talk. Excuse me, he was sitting there talking to that to that linesman. Get the ball started. Get the ball started. Get the ball started. And you know what? After a while, that referee that uh, that linesman, excuse me. He was running that ball out there on the field. He got it sped up, and that, now we've gone from that to it. It's it's just commonplace in college football now. Coach, great stuff. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. It will be game day. Can't wait to catch up then. Good enough. Coach Thank Doug you. Matthews, you can hear him all weekend here on the Dougie zone. Fresh. We'll be back to wrap up this program next. Blaine and Mickey. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. So a lot of tough news uh, today out of uh, Titans HQ. Ryan Tannehill on the COVID reserve list. He tested. uh, He's vaccinated. I saw Pro Football Talk say this. If you go on the COVID reserve list and you're vaccinated, that's not for close contact. It would mean that you did test positive. Uh, To get out, you got to have two negative tests at least 24 hours apart, or there's just that standard 10-day protocol. So Harold Landry is on the list, Nick DeZubnar, Anthony Rush, Justin March, Lillard, Jeremy McNichols, Jeff Swaim, Vrabel is still on the list, and now Craig Ackerman, uh, the special teams coach, who has been in charge before when Vrabel had to miss. Uh, Craig Ackerman also, he hadn't been seen at practice, so Mike Vrabel said today he was on the COVID list as well. Uh, season opener is not until September 12th, Blaine versus the Cardinals. So there is time for whatever this is to hopefully end here with guys getting it and for them to be able to work their way through it. Um, there was some good news today, though. Aaron Brewer passed his physical. He returned to practice. And I know sometimes if you say the name of 
some backup type player, inevitably somebody will tweet you and go, who cares? Well, everybody should care because that guy's a valuable backup on the offensive line. As we've been seeing in the games because he could play guard our center. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah, very valuable at this point in time. And they need depth there because yeah. they they have not had a lot of depth on yeah, offensive line in these preseason games. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, I guess to clarify this, so there's seven players on the COVID list and two coaches. Now, who is going to be the, I guess, interim head coach for this last preseason game? Uh, Lucas Panzica, our producer, always doing a great job. Based on what you heard from Rabel today, they have not said that yet. Correct. As far as who like the head coach will be Saturday, right. yeah, he was not willing to to put that out there. Oh, yeah. So that that's not out there yet. Uh, now you do have multiple former head coaches on the roster, so got, I, I guess they have options. You got dang Jim Schwartz down there, Jim Hazlitt. It, it, all the gems. Uh, that's some gems of gems down there. Um, hmm. But I thought, well, of, who do you think should be the, the co- interim coach, L- Lucas? Oh, I I don't know. Jim Hazlitt, throw him out there. I don't think anybody. I don't think it matters as far as who's going to challenge what and play calling. They just want to see certain stuff from certain guys, and I think they know what that is going in. I would let Jim Schwartz do it, and here's why: he doesn't have a room full of people that he coaches. Everybody else can keep coaching their room full of people, and old Schwartz he can just uh, instead of the advisor, he gets to run the show for another night, right? Then Hazlitt doesn't have to leave his room full of people. Completely agree with that. That's why I was hoping that came out. But if you're in Vrabel's situation, do you want him sitting there? As an interim with head coach, recent head coach in D.C., uh, Billy, and used to work for the organization. There's always a threat. All these coaches are all very paranoid. Rest assured of that. Head on a swivel. Yeah. So uh, that seems like the easiest thing to do. He's been in the chair now that Ackerman's going to be out. So I I don't know what they're going to do. That that was interesting. I thought he did say. I I just thought I didn't hear it. Uh, Who's going to be the interim coach? But. Yeah, I think it does matter because if you have to make decisions, it should be one voice in that decision. If you have an you know an interim guy who's never been in that spot, he's going to be listening to every voice mm-hmm. instead of like, no, nah, I've been in this situation before, like Schwartzy, and yeah, we'll just do this, whether it be right or wrong. I mean, does it really matter at this point? So I'm not going with Hazel. Uh, the other thing <laughs> is, is this. Like special teams wise, and they have uh, a very special team coach is the guy. Yeah, uh, it's going to be complete chaos because you still have eighty guys on a team, a bunch That's... of dudes. This may be the last football game they ever play, but they're on the punt team, and by gosh, you got to get the right eleven out there every time. And you're probably trying to see like specific guys before you run out of time. Like, hey, we got to see you tonight on this team. We got to so see substituting it. patterns is what Vrabel said he's concerned with. No doubt, I, I would be concerned with it too. Yeah, guess what. I'm only concerned with did we win or did we lose? We got to be concerned about this. The HL is coming up next, so it's time for us to go. Uh, this just flew by today. Yeah, no, yeah, no question, no doubt, absolutely. Yeah, there we did it. Just right. make sure you get Justin's Fields on the ground every time, over and over. The quarterback must go down, and he must go down hard. We'll see you tomorrow. Peace, peace.